Hey, welcome to the podcast of C3 Los Angeles. I'm Jake Sweetman, and together with my wife, Nicole, we lead this church. We're glad you're here, and we pray that wherever you're tuning in from, that you are encouraged and strengthened by this word. Here's today's message. It's awesome to be with you guys once again, and to be able to share in uh, God's house. My name's Darren, um, or the bass player is what people generally know me as. Um, For some reason, they keep giving me the microphone, so I keep showing up and talking. And uh, hopefully today, um, you'll be able to experience some of um, the joy in my heart of what God has done in my life and through my life. And maybe today, he'll speak to you about what he has for you and for your life and your future. I'm believing today that you'll have an encounter with him. You're going to leave here and never be the same again. That's my heart. That's my desire, and uh, that's my aim. But the first thing you need to do to be able to live a great and fulfilled life is you've got to find a great partner in crime. And I'm very fortunate to have found the very best. My wife, Bree, is here today, sitting on the front row, a.k.a. the keyboard player. And uh, I tell you... The Bible says that a man who finds a a good wife finds a treasure, a good thing. Um, It also says a nagging wife is like a dripping tap. Um, You don't want one of those at all. The Bible says lots of things. It's so good. I am a blessed, blessed man. have two beautiful children, uh, Paris and Dakota, who are uh, on the stage again. Paris was here. Dakota was on the drums, and uh, always excited to share the stage with them. As a musician, uh, both Bree and I are musicians, nothing gave, gives us greater joy than being able to worship together with our children. Um, I encourage you that if you play an instrument, teach your kids that instrument and stay on the worship team long enough to be able to play with them and worship together. It's all time. I did it with my folks. My dad was a, a brass player, and still is, and my mum is a singer, and as a, as a young man... I played on a worship team with them. Uh, my brother's a drummer, so we all played together. And so it was always a dream of mine to be able to do that with my family. And i um, fortunate enough that as soon as Dakota was old enough to hold a pair of sticks, uh, we got him going. And, uh, and then uh, Paris, we had to wait a little longer for her because her talent really wasn't there at the beginning. Um, <laughs> it's just true stories. It's just true stories. You know, uh, Dakota, when he was born, um, we <laughs> I'm not going to do the birthing story. I'm not going to talk about that. No, we don't do that. If you turn your attention to the screens. No. Um, the <laughs> terrible, terrible. Why, why do they keep giving me microphones? I don't understand. Um, so when Dakota was born, uh, Bree... Um, gave birth to Dakota. Uh, She was uh, the main worship leader at uh, a large church that I was the worship pastor at in Perth, Western Australia. And, um, you know, she went and had the baby one Sunday and then came back. She took one Sunday off and then the next Sunday she was back leading worship. Um, And we used to bring Dakota with us. He would come to church with us because I was uh, leading the band and Bree would be leading worship. And we would bring Dakota and we set up a porter crib on the front of the stage and he would sit in there while um, we got everything going for, the, for church and for the rehearsal. And so he spent the first, 
I don't know how many years of his life in a porter crib at the, at the front of the stage. Um, and then Paris came along and, um, and, and uh, you know, she, Dakota never really showed a whole lot of, too much interested, too much interest in music and, and, you know, becoming a musician and everything. But Paris, she, she came out with a set of lungs, man. She just, she was ready to sing from the get-go. Um, and, you know, I can sing, Brie is a singer, uh, we come from, I come from a lineage of singers. Um, my mother and father both sang. And so when Paris started to sing, you know, there was nothing but joy in our hearts and torment to our ears um, because she could not hold a tune to save her life. And uh, for years, literally in the back of the, our, our car, she would sing at the top of our lungs and Brie and I would literally look at each other just going, whose child is, like, what is happening right now? This is, but God is faithful, amen? And he can work wonders and miracles and he, by his supernatural power, she's an incredible singer now. Um, this is just a testimony to the faithfulness of God. Faith works, people. And if you just believe, you will receive. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. All because I have a fantastic wife who, if you, to know her is to love her. Um, she's an incredible mother, an amazing wife, um, an incredible pastor. If you ever get the chance to sit with her, I would encourage you to do so. You will, you will walk away wiser and, uh, and feel comforted and encouraged and blessed, as I do on, a, on the daily um, she is also an incredible businesswoman. She's a high-flying executive for a large multinational corporation. I would encourage you to get to know her um, because you will be blessed by her. Um, so I don't stand up here on my own. I stand up here with the encouragement of others and feel very blessed to do so this morning. Um, if you've got your Bibles, open them up. I'm not sure where yet. We'll see where we get to. Today, Book of Isaiah is where we are. Book of Isaiah. Um, we're going to start in uh, chapter, probably it's chapter 40 today. Isaiah chapter 40, it's around the middle of your Bible. Um, the thing about God is always, God never just is a, working on us in one facet at a time. God's always doing multiple things. And it can be frustrating at times because you can't see what he's doing. God's always up to something. He's a tricky God. He doesn't always make it obvious what's going on. And I've kind of narrowed it down over my 50 years of living to three things that I think God is always trying to do. Number one, he's always trying to do something for you. God is always trying to do something for you. His heart is toward you. He has a desire to see something better in your life. Never forget that God's heart is toward you. John 3.16, for God so loved the world. That so is important. God just didn't love the world. He so loved the world. God so loved the world that he gave his only son. God's heart is toward you. God is always wanting to do something for you, but he's also wanting to do something through you. James started talking about this this morning. 
God is wanting to do something for you, but he's also wanting to do something through you. There is a thing that God has put you on the earth to do. So there is a, there is a mission that each one of us have been, have been given. He's wanting to do something for you, but he's also wanting to do something through you. But there is a third thing that God is also up to at the same time, is that he's wanting to do something in you. So he's doing something for you, he's wanting to do something through you, and he's wanting to do something in you as well. And many of us, I believe, live our lives in a state of frustration because we understand one but are unable to comprehend the others. We like the idea of God doing something for us. We, that's easy to buy into. But often we're frustrated in our life because we don't understand what the other two things that God is doing. That he's trying to do something through us and he's trying to do something in us. And so often the very thing that we desire, which is him to do something for us, doesn't look like he's doing it for us because if he did it for us, nothing would happen in us or through us. And so we live in this tension, this frustration, because our heart is toward the thing that God, having some do something for us, but often if he just did it for us, then nothing would happen in us and nothing would happen through us. And unfortunately, many of us never move past the position of God doing something for us. So we're always waiting. These are the the stagnant Christians that are waiting for God to do something for me. When God does something for me, then I'll be able to do something. And until he does that, I'm just waiting. I'm just going to wait. And we wrap it in a spiritual package and we we call it waiting upon the Lord. We start quoting the scriptures, they that wait upon the Lord will renew their strength. Hallelujah, I'm just waiting for God. Just waiting. I'm just waiting for that financial breakthrough whilst I spend every month dollar that I have coming in. I'm just waiting for that, that life partner while I don't do any work on myself and actually become of value to somebody else. I'm just waiting, waiting for something to happen, for God to do something. The problem is, is that we often, things aren't happening, and so our relationship with God begins to suffer when all we have is a a something for me relationship with God. My question to you today would be, how often or how much or what percentage of your prayer life is you asking God for something? Or asking Him to change something? Or to do something? Versus how much of your prayer life is saying, God, here I am. What do you need me to do? Just a thought. The thing is, is when we have a what God is doing for me mentality, we end up, we end up you know, living our life as the great black philosopher Janet Jackson says, what have you done for me lately? Ooh, 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 yeah. <laughs> Waiting for him to do something and when it doesn't seem to be happening, we're going, God, where are you? Right. It's not that he's not there, it's just that right now he's doing something in you or he's wanting to do something through you. He's always up to things. 
The second thing he's going to do is he's going to do something through you. The thing you've got to understand about God is God doesn't do random. God's a planner. One of the most famous scriptures, Jeremiah 29, 11, for I know the I have for you, declares the Lord. God has a plan. He doesn't, he's not just making it up as he goes along. You know, things happen in the world or happen in your life. God's not up in heaven going, Jesus, did you see that? I, I didn't see that coming. What are we going to do? Um, like he's never surprised. He's never caught off guard. No matter what's happening in your life, no matter what's happening in the world, God has a, he has a plan. God is missional by nature. He's always up to something. He always has a mission that he's trying to accomplish. And the good news is, is that he's choosing us to partner with him to fulfill that mission. God is always up to something. God is missional by nature, but he's also inclusive. God wants to take as many people on that journey as possible with him. He's not just, he's not exclusive. He's not, well, I'm just me and a couple, a band of merry men, and we're going we're gonna to make it happen. No, God is highly inclusive. He wants the whole world to come on the journey together. God is always wanting to do something for you, but he's wanting to do something through you. He's always looking for a people that will align themselves with his mission. And number three, God is wanting to do something in you. See, the love of God, his care and concern for you is so great that he cannot bear just to leave you the way that he found you. Because to leave you as he found you would be to, to leave you broken, under the burden of your own sin, shame, guilt. But he loves you so much, so very much, that he wants to do something inside you that can change you on the inside so that the things that have happened in your past, the things that are, are behind you, aren't going to be things that you're dragging into your future. That no matter where you've come from, no matter what is in your past, that he is, has a plan and a purpose. And if he can just help to make some changes on the inside of you, it's going to produce something incredible for you. See, often we think the, the, the antidote to our past is a different circumstance. I'm here to tell you that the antidote to your past is a, is a renewed mind. It's a change on the inside of you. That's the true antidote. If you always struggled... With, with your finances, the antidote to you isn't winning the lottery. Now, I'd love to win the lottery. It'd be awesome, but the statistics don't lie. Over 90% of people that win the lottery go bankrupt within their lifetimes. True generational wealth never comes by chance. The kind of generational wealth that, that lasts beyond your lifetime and into the next generation and the generations and the, gener you know, the, 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 the big rich families that have legacies that last. It does, that, that money doesn't come by chance. And so if you want to change your future, not just for you, but for the generations, it's going to require a change in you, not just around you, not just for you. God is always up to something. Who's glad that God has a plan? Come on. 
Let's choose today to be a people that buy into his plan. Amen. God is always trying to do something for you. He's wanting to do something through you and he's wanting to do something in you. The title of my message today is Searching for Significance. Searching for Significance. And in our text, we're we're in the book of Isaiah. Pastor Jake did a great job last week here talking about, well, yet again, the foibles and the struggles of the children of Israel and their journey in God. We find ourselves after really the prophet has reamed the children of Israel, letting them know about all the the problems that they have, the struggles that have consumed them, and really prophesied their destruction and exile. The prophet then kind of throws the children of Israel an emotional bone and says, all right, I've, I've whipped you enough. How about some good news for a minute? And we begin in verse 40. Verse 40, chapter, uh, chapter 40, verse 1. And two, it says, comfort, comfort, my people, says the Lord. I mean, when God says something twice, you know that he really is meaning it. Not just comfort, but comfort, comfort. It's a snuggie. (laughs) Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to hear that her warfare is ended and her iniquity is pardoned and that she has received the Lord's double hand for all her sins. How good does that sound? Comfort, comfort my people, says the God, says the Lord. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended. Who wants their warfare to end? That her iniquity is pardoned. Can I get an amen? That she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. The children of Israel have had a hot and cold relationship with God. They're either fully on or they're fully off. They are either doing some of the most incredible exploits for God or making some of the most ridiculous mistakes in the history of the world. They can't seem to find a middle ground, but they're either hot or they're cold. And they've been certainly in a season of cold and the prophet's speaking into that season. He goes on to say in verse number three, it says, A voice cries, In the wilderness prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up, and every mountain and hill shall be made low. And the uneven ground shall become level, and the rough places a plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. And I'm sure as every person and the children of Israel, the whole nation cried, amen, amen. Finally, some relief. Because if the children of Israel struggled with one thing, it's this, that they were always emotionally connected to God based on what he was doing for them in any given moment. They had a something for me perspective. And so when God was doing things for them, they were all about it. But the moment that he wasn't doing how they and what they wanted, well, we're looking elsewhere. And so in hearing 
this prophetic voice over their circumstances after just hearing that there was all gonna be destroyed and that they were going into exile for 100 years and then this word pops up, you can understand that they're just hearing it from their perspective. Oh, God's gonna do something for us. And so they hear God is forgiving us. He's restoring us. He's giving us back what we have lost. He's removing all the obstacles. All the circumstances will be in our favor. Everything will be easy again. When actually what the prophet is actually declaring over them isn't what God is wanting to do for them, but is what he's wanting to do through them and has been trying to do through them the whole time. Verse three says, and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all flesh shall see it together. See, the purpose of God for the children of Israel wasn't just for the children of Israel, it was for all nations. The children of Israel weren't chosen by God to be blessed, they were chosen to fulfill a mission. Their significance was never to be found in their prosperity or their circumstances, but in the fulfillment of their purpose. And yet how many of us are looking to have our significance elevated by our prosperity rather than the fulfillment of our purpose? The beginning of the nation of Israel, the children of Israel, the Israelites, is a guy by the name of Abraham. Father Abraham had many sons, many sons. Okay. See, I can tell how many people have been in church for too long. All right. In Genesis chapter 17, God declares over Abraham, he says, no longer shall your name be Abraham but your name shall be Abraham, for I have made you the father of multitudes of nations. He goes on to tell Abraham to look at the stars in the sky, see how many stars there are, and he wasn't in Los Angeles where you can't see a star to save your life. <laughs> They're in the middle of nowhere where there was no natural, there was no light, no artificial light. And so the number of stars, if you've ever been, has ever been out to Joshua Tree or out, outside of the city limits and you look up and you just can't believe that that's all there the whole time. But God declares, he says, look up, look up there, all that. The number of your descendants, more than that even. What I wanna do through you, it's more than that even. Remind me, how many sons did Abraham have? Two of note and six more. He had eight in total. One, only one by his wife, Sarah. So he only had one legitimate son for whom this legacy that was being prophesied over Abraham was to be fulfilled. I don't know about you, but one and multitude, a little different. A little different. If Abraham's significance was to be found in the provision, then he's pretty insignificant. One. But his significance 
was found in him embracing the purpose of God for his life. What was going to happen, not just in what he would see, but the legacy that was going to come through him. His job wasn't to try and make it all happen. His job was to walk in obedience. And the point in which Abraham stopped walking in obedience, trouble started. We have a whole nother nation called the nation of Islam that exists because of Abraham's disobedience. Because out of Abraham came another person, another son named Ishmael. And out of Ishmael came Islam. So this is the, the struggle You can be the man of God with the dream of God, but when you try to make it happen yourself, it produces bad things. But when you rest in him, even in your place of insignificance, one, his will will be done. His will be done. When you buy into not what God are you doing for me, but God, what do you want to do through me? Changes everything. Changes your perspective. But old habits, they die hard for the children of Israel and for us. And so in their circumstances, even though through multiple times of God's mercy being offered, his grace being revealed and his provision being poured out over and over again, the problem is is that when you have a self-first mentality, even God's best is not enough. Even his highest in your life won't get his attention for you. By the end of the same chapter in chapter 40, after God has poured out these beautiful words of comfort, of provision and purpose and future, they still don't get it. And in verse 27, they're lamenting, Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel? The way is hidden from the Lord, and my right is disregarded by my God. Listen to that language right there, folks. I love it when, when we need to get a, a bigger perspective, people, with what's happening in our world. I mean, I hear people talking about how entitled this generation is. There has never been a more entitled group of people than the children of Israel. I mean, and my right is disregarded by my God. Like, I've got rights here, all right? <laughs> like, don't you know who I am? Like, like that's their attitude. It's nutty. Every generation is stupid, folks. <laughs> Stupidity is universal. It's been happening for a long time. Your stupidity, your parents' stupidity, this generation's stupidity, whatever, it's all the same. We're all ridiculous. (laughs) How often do we exhibit that same response, though? We fail to see God's hand because it doesn't look like how we thought it should. He doesn't do it the way we think he should should be done. I mean, he's clearly not consulting us Or even worse, we sometimes feel entitled to things because we don't see the bigger picture. Pastor Jake just recently actually posted something on his Instagram and I thought it was great. And he said, today I'm thankful to God for all the prayers that he didn't answer. 
when he didn't give me the things that I asked for. Because in hindsight, we can look back and go, if that had happened, my life would be in a whole different place. My circumstances would be completely different. Thank God that he doesn't consult with us when it comes to his plans. His ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. Our job isn't to convince him of what we need. It's to get on board with what he's doing. And when we do that, he provides for all our needs according to his riches and glory. Amen. So we have to buy into this idea that God has got us on a mission. And that's what the children of Israel failed to see because they were waiting for him to do something for them. In fact, if I'm to be so bold, I would say that the whole nation of Israel today is still waiting for God to do something for them. They're still waiting for the Messiah to come. It's what Judaism is. They believe all the Old Testament, but they got to the New and went, Jesus, he doesn't look like what we thought the Messiah is meant to look like. So they're still waiting. Because in their minds, they, they felt entitled to political change. They felt entitled to, to, to reign and rule. And the problem is, is that God was making a way, not just for a nation, but for everybody. And he was wanting to use the children of Israel to be the, to be the conduit of that mission throughout the world. But instead of seeing the mission, they just saw the blessing. And when the blessing tap wasn't at full force, they weren't unable to see what God was doing. Because a mission often doesn't look like comfort, does it? It looks like work. A mission, by definition, is work involved. And you see, provision isn't for you, it's for the mission. Provision, provision, providing for the vision. So God brings provision into your world and you consume it like it's for you. When actually it's for the mission. It's for the vision that he's calling you into. The seeds of your time, your talent, your treasure, all are designed to be consecrated unto God to the mission that he's calling you and I to. And when we do that, we live in the fullness of the glorious life that he has prepared for us and planned for us. But when we fail to, we wonder why there's no harvest of our life. It's because we consumed all the seed that he has given for us. The provision isn't for you. It provides for the vision. See, when we fail to see our circumstances in light of the mission, we cannot see the fullness or the purpose even of the provision that God has provided. And so we lose faith. The provision that God has given you, we, we can't understand it. We can't fathom because we don't understand the mission. The children of Israel only saw the provision of God as for them. They didn't see it in light of the vision and of the mission. And because of that, God had to make another way. See, we love to judge the children of Israel for all their messes and their mistakes, all their crazy and stupid ideas and their failures. But the truth of the matter is, is that the story of the Israelites, the children of Israel, is really just the story of us. It's just us. 
over and over again. God does something incredible in your life, something supernatural, something miraculous. And only five minutes down the track, you're losing faith. Because whatever is in front of you right now, God doesn't seem to be moving that mountain. Did you ever think that actually what he's wanting you to do is to grow you so that you can climb that mountain? He's wanting to do something inside you so that not only can you climb that mountain, but you can guide somebody else over that mountain. And that that mountain is there to train you, to test you, to show not only God himself, but you that what you can do with him. So that you're not just a baby sucking your thumb at home waiting for God to do something for you. Just saying. Had an had a interesting call the other week. Who remembers uh, Jesse Malloy? Jesse and Susan Malloy, they were here with us. Jesse would play sax from time to time on stage. Uh, you you may, not, may not know that, but, but Jesse is the, the sax player for um, Panic in the Disco and for The Midnight, two of some of my favorite bands. And, uh, and so him and his wife, uh, Suzanne, uh, had a baby and they, they moved up to, um, into Oregon where his, uh, his family is so they can help because he's on tour a lot of the time. So them being in an apartment here in LA is a little bit, bit of a struggle. So they moved and so that's why they're not here. They didn't leave the church, loving Jesus somewhere in Oregon. And, uh, but I talk to Jesse um, regularly a couple of times every month and uh, as he's journeying and out and about and he's had a new babies and new dad and, and so the, you've got all the new dad things whirling around your, your life. You know, when you become a new dad, you begin to see the world a little bit differently. The struggles that the world was going through, you were interfacing with them as an adult. Powerful, determined, able to make good choices because of what you've experienced in life. But when you have a child, you see the way the world is in light of the fragility of this thing that you've been given responsibility and it changes your perspective. Now, the world isn't just something for you to, to resist. The world is something that is actively trying to kill your child on a daily basis. Now, that may, that may, may or may not be real, but in your mind, that's where you go. Two-time dad, just take my word for it. And so your perspective changes and so... Jesse's out touring with, with the bands. And as you can imagine, you know, the environment that he finds himself in on a regular basis is not, it's not glorifying God. And so he begins to question, what am I doing? Like, is this really what I want? Like, is this what's important? Like, I've got this child and now I'm seeing things differently. I don't know if I want to be in these environments. And I'm not sure, you know, because he's seeing this whole different perspective. And he was asking me about it. He said, Darren, what do you think I should do? Like, like is, what, is, what is God saying? And I, I said to him, I said, Jesse, what has God called you to do? And he started talking about gifts and talents. I said, no, 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 no. Look, before that, there's a declaration that God has over each one of us. Every person on the earth, every person that believes in him, we're called to be two things. Salt and Light. I said, I said, Jesse, what does salt exist for? Does salt exist to make salt saltier? So what, what is light for? Does, is light, if we're in a room that's bright and you shine a light, what's the value? 
I said, light has presence in the darkness. Light's value is in dark places. Do you know what you call somebody with a light in a dark place? The leader. Light exists to be in the darkness. Salt exists to, to give, uh, to, to preserve, to enhance flavor in the absence of it, not in the presence of it. If I have a bag of salt and I add more salt to it, did the salt get saltier? No. And yet so often we think of our significance in life in terms of in the presence of rather than in the absence of. Do the fruit of the Spirit have value in the presence of or in the absence of? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, goodness, self-control. Are these things best manifest in the presence of or in the absence of? It's in the absence. The fruit of the Spirit outworking in, in your life, patience, isn't when everything's going perfect and you're getting what you want and there's no lines and the freeways are empty. What value does the fruit of the Spirit have in your world in that moment? Zero, zip, nada, nothing. It's in the absence of those things in which the, 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 the true value exists. And I just had a great moment to encourage Jesse and said, you are right where God wants you to be. You are the man for this moment, for this hour. You just have to understand that this isn't about your circumstance. This is about the mission. This is who God called you to be in this moment, in this hour. And whilst I love having you in church playing sax on the worship team, I'd rather you be out there being salt and light. You've got to understand the mission, folks. See, the promise is that God doesn't just call you to a mission. He actually wants to do a transforming. He wants to do something in you as well. In Isaiah chapter 43, God begins to reveal His new plan to the children of Israel. He says, Behold, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? The answer, no. Rhetorical question. I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. And the wild beasts will honour me, the jackals and the ostriches. I will give water in the wilderness, rivers in the desert, to give drink to my chosen people, the people whom I formed for myself that they might declare my praises. God is always up to something. He has a plan. He has a plan despite your failure. Even in your failure, He has a plan. In the desert, He has a plan. Around the wild beasts, He has a plan. In the dry and barren places, He has a plan. Even in the desert that you made amongst the wild animals that you tried to tame, He has a plan. God has a plan. He is doing something in you. Even when you cannot see it, when you cannot perceive it, He has a plan. He is doing a new thing. And that new thing that He is doing, as it was for the children of Israel, the new thing that He wants, it wants to do in you isn't a, isn't, a, isn't a thought process. It's not a new idea. It's a person and His name is Jesus. He is the new plan. He is the plan then and He is the plan now. See, Jesus begins where we end. 
Jesus begun where the children of Israel just ran out of gas. They couldn't get it done. At the end of them is the beginning of Jesus. At the end of you is the beginning of Jesus. He is our living hope, just as he was for Israel. Chapter 49, Isaiah keeps going. He says, listen to me, O coastlands, and give attention, you people from afar. The Lord called me from the womb. From the body of my mother, he named my name. He made my mouth like a sharp sword. In the shadow of his hand, he hid me. He made me a polished arrow. In his quiver, he hid me away. And he said to me, you are my servant Israel, in whom I will be glorified. This declaration over the nation of Israel from the new thing, the person of Jesus, that all nations would be reached from his mother's womb with the sword in his mouth, hidden and refined. And he said, you are my servant Israel in whom I will be glorified. A new identity as servants of Jesus for you and for me. That's the identity that God has for each one of us, that we will be servants of Jesus. At the end of it all, your identity isn't who you are, it's whose you are. It's not what you bring to the table, it's who you connect yourself to. It's not the successes or failures or the abilities or inabilities. It's not what you come to the table with. It's, it's who you connect yourself to. And the thing is, it's not just a vision. It's not just a mission that you're connecting to. It's a person. And when you connect to Jesus, everything flows to you. Everything flows through you. Everything changes inside of you and we live the very best life that God has created for each one of us just as it was for the children of Israel so it is for us God is wanting to do something for you today but even greater than that He's wanting to do something through you the things that He wants to do for you are for your good. And as any good parent knows that sometimes the things that you gotta do for your children don't feel so good in the moment. God wants to do something through you. But recognize that it's in the imperfect moments that He is most active in working through you. God is less interested in your desire to one, one day reach the nations for Him through your success in the business field or in the entertainment industry. He's less interested in what you'll do then and more interested in what you're going to do when you're serving somebody as a barista. If you can't preach the gospel as a barista, you're certainly not going to do it as a world famous anything. What God wants to do through you has nothing to do with your position in the world. It has everything to do with your availability to Him. 
he's wanting to do something in you. One of the great themes of the Old Testament is rebuilding of a temple. First, it's the building of the temple. In the old, beginning of the Old Testament, the temple was temporary. It was something in a tent that they took around places. And then David built the temple for God and then the temple was destroyed. Remember, Nehemiah was raised up and got the, the, the people back on track to rebuild the temple. God loves to rebuild the temple. The thing is, is that in the New Testament, the temple is no longer a structure. The temple is a dwelling place of God. And guess who the temple is? It's you and me. We're the temple. God is wanting to do something in you because He's wanting to rebuild your temple. Because your temple is the place where God dwells. And out of you flows the power of the Holy Spirit into the world. God wants to do something in you to repair your temple, to get you on track, to make sure this place is able to contain the goodness and the glory of God so that it's not spilling out out of your own inadequacies or your own lack of disciplines, but rather that it's fully contained and able to carry His Holy Spirit into the world. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the presence of God on the earth today. Your significance, your single significance is staying connected to Jesus. Behold, I'm doing a new thing. God is going to do a new thing today in you. You've been listening to the C3 Los Angeles podcast. If you found today's message helpful, we encourage you to share it with a friend and consider rating it. If you'd like more information about our church or details on how to get connected to a neighborhood group, head to c3losangeles.com. We love you. Thanks for tuning in with us.